following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Balaam, son of Baor, and, not mentioned in that first reading, Balak. Now, it's possible you've recently worked your way through the Old Testament books of Book of Numbers, and if so, then you're familiar with these two. But unless you've done that recently, you're somehow seen one of these names mentioned in, a, in an answer on the Jeopardy board, they're probably not very familiar at all. Balaam, son of Beor, and not mentioned in that first reading, Balak. Neither of them is typical fare for a Sunday school lesson. Neither of them is typically going to show up in a, in a Bible history book with those pictures in it. Neither of them is, is typically discussed in, in Christian circles. And yet I, I, I want you very much to know them and I want you to know their, their history for a specific reason. So that you can worship all the more gladly the, the Savior God who reveals himself to, to people from other nations, other languages, and other cultures. So that you can worship the one who brings light and, and guidance to people in darkness and, and who does it in, in marvelous, surprising ways. So that you can worship the one who has proven again and again to be the the king for all who believe in his name and even for those who don't. Balaam, son of Beor and Balak. To start their history, I suppose I have to go back to the, the, the time of the exodus from Egypt but not to the time when Moses stood before the Pharaoh of Egypt and, and with ten plagues from God, convinced him to release the Israelites from captivity. And, and not as far back as, as the time when God parted the waters and the Israelites walked through the Red Sea on, on dry ground. And, and not as far back as when God summoned Moses up to Mount Sinai and, and gave him his laws inscribed on stone tablets. Not that far back, but 40 years after all those things. 40 years later. Scripture tells us that the, the Israelites who left Egypt rebelled against God again and again. They, they complained against the, the, the way God provided for them and, and, and they complained against the leaders that God appointed for them. They frequently turned to, to worshiping and trusting other gods rather than the, the only true God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. So the Lord's decision was that the entire adult generation that came out of Egypt, that they would not be allowed to enter the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they 
wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that first adult generation to leave Egypt until they had all died. Now they've finally arrived at the Jordan River. They're ready, they're, they're poised to, to enter this land that God had promised. 600,000 of them, as indicated by two different censuses, but 600,000 men, and that wouldn't have counted in those days the women and the children, so perhaps it's, it's two million people, maybe two and a half million people or more. And they're all living in tents along the Jordan River in a land called Moab. That's where Balak comes in. Balak was the, the king of Moab. And when he, he sees this, this vast nation coming and, and settling in his territory, he's, he's terrified and, and all the people of Moab with him. But Balak has an idea. He sends a delegation of his own representatives to go hundreds of miles to a, a well-known prophet who was living near the Euphrates River. His name was Balaam, Balak the king, Balaam the prophet. Balaam was not a, a prophet of the true God. He, it seems like he, he may have been an expert in world religions, however, so he, he certainly knew about the Israelites and, and the God who went by the name of the Lord. So, so Balak sends the, this delegation and offers a significant sum of, sum of money asking Balaam to do one thing, and that is to put a divine curse on the nation of Israel. Balaam is a greedy man. He wants the money, but he tells this delegation he needs to, some time to, to think it over. And that night, the Lord appears to him and tells him, don't go with him. Don't go with this delegation. You must not put a curse on the Israelites because they're blessed. Balaam tells this to the king's delegation. They go back to Moab and report this. But Balak is persistent. He sends another delegation. This one more numerous and, and with, with more distinguished people than the first and with more money. This appeals to, to Balaam. Again, though, he says he needs time to think about it. And again, the Lord appears to him at night. But this time he says, go with these people, but you must do whatever I tell you to do. So the next day, they're ready to leave. Balaam goes with them. He settles, saddles his donkey and heads off on his way. But it seems from every indication that his heart was not in what doing what the Lord wanted him to do. His heart was in the money. So as he travels, we're told one day, the angel of the Lord stands in the road in front of him and his donkey. 
Balaam doesn't see the donkey. The people with him can't see the donkey. <laughs> Excuse me, I got to say that better. Balaam doesn't see the angel. The people with him don't see the angel. But the donkey does. So the donkey goes off the road into a field. Balaam beats the donkey until it returns to the road. They travel further. Again, the angel of the Lord stands in the middle of the, Lord, of, of the road. Balaam can't see him. The people traveling with him can't see the angel, but the donkey does. This time they're going between two stone walls and the donkey presses up against a stone wall, crushing Balaam's foot. Balaam beats the donkey until it continues on the way. They travel further. Again, the angel of the Lord stands on the road. This time, the donkey cannot turn to the right or to the left or even veer off to the side. So the donkey lies down underneath Balaam. He loses his temper. He takes his staff and starts beating on the donkey. And what happens next? Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, donkey, you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. And just then, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I'll go back. But the angel said to them, Go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. The Bible is filled with accounts that mention animals. The scriptures tell us about bears and lions and lambs and camels. There are cows and deer and, and dogs and and eagles, there are sheep and goats and, 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 and pigs and doves. But the Bible's not fiction. The Bible's not a cartoon. So animals don't speak in Scripture except on two occasions. On one of them, it's the snake in the grass that the, that, that the devil has assumed control of, the, the snake in the grass who speaks to Eve and Adam and, and deceives them into rebelling against God. On the other occasion, right here, it's a donkey who speaks and talks some sense into a foolish man. Balaam listens to the angel after he's listened to his donkey and he heads on his way. He arrives at 
King Balak's palace. Balak takes him to a, 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 a high place where he can see all the Israelites, two million of them, two and a half million, camped in front of him. Balak urges Balaam to curse this nation. Balaam has seven altars built, altars for the god, the false god known as Baal. His decision is that he's going to offer up sacrifices on these altars somehow to win the favor of the Lord. Somehow, perhaps, that the Lord would then allow him to curse the Israelites. And, and, and of course, then Balaam can, can reap the cash, can make the money, can take the reward for that. But he can't do it. We're told the Lord put his words in Balaam's mouth. The prophet has to stand before Balak and say, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? King Balak takes him to another place. Curse them for me, he says. Clearly, Balaam wants to. He's a greedy man. But again, the, the Lord puts his word in this false prophet's mouth. He stands before Balaam, Balak and says, I've received a command to bless. The Lord is blessed and I cannot change it. King Balak pleads with him all the more, urges more sacrifices, more altars. Balaam wants the money that's been offered. He has no real desire to serve the Lord or to honor him in any way. And yet a total of seven times, we're told, with the Spirit of God on him. He spoke blessing after blessing on the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one that we're reading this morning, perhaps the most remarkable of them all. I'd like to read it to you again. This is the fourth of the blessings that Balaam spoke over the Israelites. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor. The prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the word of God. Who has knowledge from the Most High. Who sees a vision from the Almighty. Who falls face down and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob a scepter will rise out of Israel. There are some who perceive this as having a, a fulfillment only in an earthly ruler. Some scholars will say that this is just pointing ahead to, to King David, who, of course, would be a great warrior and, and would, would not only defeat the people of Moab, but other nations around him, and the, the kingdom of the Israelites would, would expand. And yet, the words of the Lord that were put in Balaam's mouth, the vision that he saw, what compelled him to fall down and worship was not simply a prophecy of, of a, a successful earthly king. This is a prophecy about the king named Jesus, Christ, the Messiah. I see him. Balaam is compelled to say, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. You see that the Israelites had to experience a number of blessings before before they'd actually see this, this, this great king named Jesus. Yep, they would conquer the land after they had crossed the Jordan and defeated the, the city of Jericho. They would, they would prosper as a, as a people in an earthly sense. But then the Lord would defeat them again and, and, and they'd be carried off into captivity. And, and then they'd come back and, 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 and settle in the land again, but again they'd be they'd be defeated by a, a form, foreign ruler, and again after that defeated by another foreign ruler. And it was under the control of someone named Caesar Augustus. Fourteen centuries after this, that they finally would see him. Yep, they'd see him when the virgin would conceive. And give birth to a son. They'd see him when the Lord would protect the child and his family and, and, and take them to Nazareth. And, and he'd grow up a, a holy child, an obedient child before God and, and, and human beings. The son of the woman and the son of the Most High God would suffer for our sins on a cross. In the meantime, he would... He would teach us about a kingdom that's not of this world. And to gain that kingdom, he would not only suffer, but he would die. And then he would rise again. And he would establish a kingdom where, where death is defeated. And, and where peace is, peace is secure and unassailable. And, and where hope is eternal. And where all the words and promises of God are fulfilled. Jesus Christ, he's that star that came out of Jacob to provide light and guidance for a people in darkness. He holds the royal scepter that came out of Israel. Jesus Christ fulfills the words and the vision that were given to a greedy, unbelieving, reluctant prophet and compelled him to speak blessing after blessing after blessing on his people. A little more familiar now, right? Balaam the prophet, Balak the king. Now that you know them, what you have in them is is an account that's, that's just as unexpected and just as remarkable as a much more familiar account of God's plan. Scholars, wise men, magi living in a faraway land, they see a star in the sky and somehow they recognize it as his star. That sight and and what had been told them about a a, a ruler in, in, in Judea compelled them to travel hundreds of miles. And when they get to Jerusalem, they learn from the scriptures that he's to be born in Bethlehem. So they leave Bethlehem, they, they, they leave Jerusalem, and they, and they head the half dozen miles to Bethlehem. And, and while they're on the road, the same star that had appeared to them hundreds of miles away, and they had not seen for some time, the same star appears before them. 
and leads the way until it stops over the place where the child Jesus was. These not, that non-Israelites would actually seek out the Christ child, that's just as unlikely as a, as a, as a pagan prophet who speaks blessings on God's people. That a star would, would appear and the star would, would be his and they'd know it and that it would lead the way to the place where the child was. That's no less remarkable than that a donkey would speak. And yet it all leads to the sweetest of moments. These strangers from the east bow down, throw themselves face down, and in sincere faith they worship the newborn king and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Whether you're looking at the, the familiar account from Matthew's gospel or the, the not-so-familiar one from the book of Numbers, along with me, you can marvel at the God who is full of surprises. You can look forward to those, those surprises throughout the pages of Scripture, and you can also look forward to those surprises in your own life. Occasions when God blesses you in ways that were not expected maybe not even asked for, and that can't be explained. Because if the scriptures are be, to be believed, the Lord Jesus Christ is intent on, on heaven and earth singing his praises and on you singing his praises as well. Along with me, you can be amazed at the Savior who is so filled with grace, he wants to reveal his name, his saving name, to people from every place, every nation, every culture, every ethnic group. And if the scriptures are to be believed, he'll use all sorts of means back then and all sorts of means now to prompt people to, to find him. He'll use you. He'll use your offerings. He'll use your prayers. He'll use your ability to speak, your gifts, to draw people to that Savior so that they too might worship him. Along with me, you can all the more gladly worship the Savior God who himself is the bright star for a sin-darkened world, who holds the scepter and rules as, as king for all who believe in his name, and who's going to keep doing so, who will continue to rule in marvelous and mysterious and wonderful and surprising ways. Amen. Amen.